About seven years ago, I found myself in Maryland doing long drives back and forth from northern Montgomery County near the D.C. border down to southern Maryland. Why was I doing these drives? Well, I'll get to that later. But I got lost in thoughts about what I was recognizing. Exit 31 and 495. That's where I lost my virginity. Landover, Maryland, home of the former Capitol Center. I saw Hammer there. Not in the audience. You know, I saw him perform. I should have gotten a t-shirt. The drives felt longer and longer, so I started paying attention to the signs as I entered different counties. I don't know if you've driven through Maryland, but it is a hotbed of British royalty naming everything after themselves. Prince George's County, Prince Frederick County, and my ultimate destination, Calvert County, named after the Calverts. Now, I was a C average history student at best, so what you're gonna hear isn't gonna sound the brightest, but here's my version of Maryland history. Cecil Calvert, a.k.a. Lord Baltimore, the second Lord Baltimore in the family, was the first owner of what was then the province of Maryland back in the 17th century. Hello, I am Lord Baltimore. You can refer to me as Lord or Lord Baltimore. But that's all thee shall learn about me. So there's Lord Baltimore collecting the fruits of colonization, and then there's Leonard Calvert, Cecil's excuse me, Lord Baltimore's baby brother. Both are in England at the time. Leonard here, happy just to be invited to the party. So, Lord Baltimore has not only inherited his dad's title, but is also given the older brother route of like legacy and land ownership. And you know what this twit does? He throws his brother a bone. Leonard, come in here, will ye? Go to this territory and, like, make a go of it. Just, like, watch it or something. You're good at that. That's right. Little baby brother Leonard has to go off to sea to get all the dysentery and scurvy, to conquer a territory, and, you know, see what he can make of it, while Cecil gets to hang back with maidens and parlor games and... I don't know my history, but let's just say smoke opium. Let's just say he was into that too. Cometh here, fetch me my opium and a parlor game. I would like to mm, charge my intellect. I'll show them. I'll show them all. Maryland history is baby brother history. And my friends, sometimes it ain't easy being a baby brother. This is Mark Bagan, and you're listening to Other Men Need Help with Their History Homework. Because I don't. I'm fine. I'm from Maryland. I know the history. Just, you haven't even been to Maryland. What's the capital of Maryland? You're going to say Baltimore. It's not Baltimore. Don't look it up. Don't be all smug. You don't know what the answer is. As all of you are aware, for the last two years, I've been making this show that you're listening to right now about men. 
And for years, I've been looking at places and origins where men develop their insecurities. I used to think that most of my problems stem from all the being a man stuff I mislearned over the years. And that is true. But I think the big problem stems from something else. I, too, am a baby brother. And it has been the defining attribute I've been fighting against and leaning into my whole life. Here's where being a baby brother sucks. You have no sway at family video store choices. You will crush on all your sister's friends. You will regret saying you like anyone. Mark's got a girlfriend. You'll probably do a production of Princess and the Pea in fifth grade for the attention. That's not me singing in Princess and the Pea. You're crazy. Instead, all anyone can remember is the temper tantrum you threw when you lost at Hungry Hungry Hippos. Everyone still thinks I can't do anything. And that is the defining trait of a baby brother. We all have something to prove. In my family, there were two baby brothers. There was David and there was me. David was the first. My dad had seven kids between two marriages. David was the last of five in my dad's first marriage. My father left that family and married my mom. First came my sister Lydia, then I was born. 14 years after David, with a different mom, there was a new baby brother. Between the oldest sibling and me, the youngest, there was a 30-year age gap. I love my siblings. But as a kid, they felt so much older. And when I was born, David was a teenager. The first time I remember seeing David enter a room, I was around eight. He parked his motorcycle and walked in with tattered jeans and a leather jacket. It had to have been a leather jacket. But maybe, in my mind, it all just turned into Mad Max walking in the door. And I was like, he's real. He'd walk over to give me a hug with so many odors on him that were thrilling to take in. I don't know what this is, but it's so virile. His hands always had a lot of grease on them, but they never made my hands or hyper-color shirts dirty. I always thought he looked like Bruce Springsteen. To me, he was Bruce Springsteen. Other siblings were around, but again, they were old and disciplinary and wouldn't take me seriously. But David got it. He was fun. Sometimes when I went to one of my dad's schmancy, men-talking-forever events in D.C., David would come pick me up. I arrived in my dad's old-man Cadillac with classical music playing, but I peeled off in a Trans Am with Motley Crue's Girls, Girls, Girls blasting all the way down K Street in Northwest D.C. without having to wear a seatbelt. When he was told to babysit me, we went to a pool hall where he hustled with his friends. And I got to hold on to his till and play Galaga with the winnings. 
Now these memories are really striking because I really didn't see David that much, especially towards the beginning of my teenage years. David and my dad had a falling out, and for a few years, David was a ghost. When our dad died, David was the last one to get to the hospital. When my mom said, he's gone, David collapsed to the floor. I was in shock too, but David eventually got up, paced around, and gave me a hug. My body was still smaller than his, but I don't know who was trying to support who with our hands searching each other's backs for a place to find emotional balance. I felt myself saying, there, there, inside. I smelled all the crazy odors on him again. I was 14, and a few of them I could place at this age. I missed them. David was still a biker, but at this point he was rolling around in a truck. I say truck, but when we left the ICU, we walked out into the parking lot of Suburban Hospital, and there was a fucking monster truck in the lot. Like, dude took up a few spaces. I don't know how any of that was legal. I don't think he cared. Our dad was a retired lieutenant colonel, and his funeral was held at Arlington Cemetery. At the funeral, our brother Ralph hugged us voraciously. A bunch of retired Puerto Rican veterans forgot the order of salutes when acknowledging the colonel, my dad. And because the coffin was trotted to the cemetery plot by carriage, it was the first time I understood that horses shit. Like, a lot. They've got no shame at all. And there was my older baby brother in a suit. He said, we got to do a better job staying in touch. And after a few weeks, we decided to see Dragon, the Bruce Lee story. Then we were like, nah, let's just wander around. It was like hanging out at the mall with a cool bodyguard. In the parking lot, he said something like, it's important that we stay close. We're brothers, and I'm here for you. I don't know that I heard this from the other siblings. I knew they were there for me, but I couldn't relate in the same way with most of them because they were very adult, and I felt very young around them. I agreed with David and gave him a hug, took in his odor. Then he helped me get into the third floor that was the passenger seat of his monster truck of a car. I didn't see him again for 10 years. We weren't very good at staying in touch. My excuse was being a high school kid who wasn't focusing on his US history homework, then going to college, then a move to New York. But what brought me back was another tragedy. Our sister Georgie died suddenly. At the funeral, my brother Ralph hugged us all voraciously. Our sister Grizel threw an F-bomb while giving a eulogy, which our sister Georgie would have appreciated. And sitting in those pews, I spotted my hermanito mayor in a suit for the second time in my life. I was 24 at this point. David was in his late 30s. We both looked different. I was on the cusp of balding. His Springsteen curls were disappearing and a horseshoe shape was showing up on his scalp. 
I couldn't smell him the way I used to. Might have been due to the fact that I was a heavy smoker at this point. Which I was kind of proud of in his company. Like, see, we're doing our own thing, man. He hung outside with me while I smoked a half a pack at the reception. He was angrier. More brutal with his family criticisms. He thought we were living yuppie, elitist lives, man. And the family would placate his frustrations like, Okay, David, that's fine. Yes, we're the worst. David was claiming he was living a more authentic life. And even I was skeptical. Like, dude, you're nearing 40 and you're still getting into shit with the law. You're still living with your family. How are you going to prove that you've got your shit together? Even with that, I have to say I was actually rooting for him. All I knew was that within a year or so, he had moved down to Southern Maryland. I barely knew anything about the area. Calvert County near the Chesapeake Bay, named after the Calverts. You remember those yahoos from my history lesson. Well, I knew what David was doing down there about as much as I knew my Maryland history, which is, depending on your opinion, pretty vague. Dear Diary, it's me, Leonard. Well, I'll have you know we just arrived in this new land. That's right, we made it. I'll turn this land into a home for many and start an ongoing debate of whether this is a northern or southern territory where the north says we talk so country and the south thinks we're too fast. But you'll see. You'll all see. I have to go. One of these many small orange birds defecated on my shoe. But I meant for that to happen. At 27, I got an invitation to a barbecue at David's house. On the ride down, we were all saying, David has a house? I mean, we were all shocked. Like, dude, what? You were the one who was getting in trouble with the cops. You were the one who got caught siphoning gasoline out of someone's car. And you've got this house. Not just a house. Rolling up off a of lower Marlboro Road, the place looked like fucking Dallas. Not the city. The opening credits of the show. And there was David with a huge pit barbecue, dogs, and his requisite automobiles. As a mechanic and biker, he always had cars he was fixing for himself or others. And every single time I saw him at family events, I clung to him. Asked him questions that had a tone like, uh, get no respect, huh? Which is the best Rodney Dangerfield you're going to get out of me. And I saw myself, who got out of Maryland, doing my city thing, man, living the way I want to live. You all can have your like, oh, Mark and David, that's cute what they're doing with their life. But we know, little brother to little brother, we proved them wrong. I was doing an art residency in Minnesota. I was there just a few weeks in, and I got a voicemail from Ralph, our brother. The only time Ralph calls is when he accidentally butt dials me. It's usually five minutes of sounds from the pocket of his Wranglers. I checked the voicemail. And what struck me wasn't the message 
as much as the pause in the middle of it. Hey, Mark. <clears throat> this is Ralph. Give me a call. When I called Ralph back, he said, I've got some bad news. David died in a motorcycle crash. Somehow, before he even told me, I knew. And I agreed to come back to Maryland for the funeral. After the funeral, Ralph came up to me and said, David didn't have a will, but someone's going to need to take care of his estate. You up for it? And I said, yes. For my brother David, yes. But also, I was going to be king baby brother. The world would see that Mark can tackle anything. No will? Ha 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 ha! I laugh at your implication. Give me a will and I will throw it away. I can do anything that you can. I can even be king of Maryland. And when Ralph walked away, he laughed and said something like, good luck, you're going to need it. And I was like, wait a second. What do you mean? And we'll tell you what he meant on the next episode of Other Men Need Help. This episode was produced and hosted by me, Mark Pagan. Our lead producer is Caitlin May Burke, and our associate producers are Ben Goldberg and Rebecca Seidel. Engineering and editing done by Ben, Rebecca, and myself. And our logo and illustrations are created by the incredible Iga Zipek. You can find the show wherever you listen to podcasts, including Stitcher, Google Play, NPR One, Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or on our newsletter, which you can sign up for at OtherMenNeedHelp.com. If this show and this season has meant anything to you, please, we'd love it if you could share, talk to us online. We love hearing from all of you. So anything to get the word out would be so appreciated. Thank you all. Until next time. Adios. Ciao, ciao. Bye. A letter from Leonard. Let's see what trouble he's gotten himself into, shall we? Dear Cecil, ugh, okay. The weather is warm, the orange birds are chirping, charming, and I have set up quite a colony here. I would like to take on role of governor, and am requesting permission to do so. I am fit to run a colony. Well. That comes as a surprise. Well, fetch me a polygame. Did not expect this news today.